You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. Psalm 23, it's a a psalm of confidence or trust. It's one of the most uh, well-known and beloved of the psalms, familiar to most of us, having brought comfort to countless Christians in times of sorrow with its tranquil, consoling language and and imagery, referred to by uh, Charles Spurgeon as the Pearl of Psalms, believed to have been composed by David, as are a great many of the psalms, who from the inside... David did. He knew something of the life of a shepherd king. And you'll see some of that imagery in this very psalm this morning with this particular psalm offering us little in the way of an original setting or situation, the blessing of which being that its appeal is somewhat universal in the comfort that it brings. We can all relate to it in some way, particularly when faced with the sorrows and evils of this world of which David, going back to last week, surely experienced his fair share The psalm begins with these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Shepherding language and imagery, it runs throughout the scriptures. What with much of Israel's history set against uh, the backdrop of an agrarian society. The seasonal nature of the the rains oftentimes making green grass difficult to find, often located out in the the danger, the peril of the open country so that shepherds had to protect the sheep from prowling dangers and predators. The job of a shepherd, one of both provision and protection, one of both feeding and fighting off. Shepherd, a, a title applied to gods and kings in the ancient Near East. The rod and the staff, oftentimes symbols of of power and authority. This psalm declaring that God is the shepherd king of his people who provides for, protects those who trust in and follow him. The Lord, from the Hebrew word Yahweh, God's name in relation to his covenant people, the name by which God revealed himself to Moses in promising to lead his Exodus people safely to the land of Canaan. The name emphasizing God's covenant faithfulness, his commitment to fighting for his people. As Christians, our our help doesn't come from some impersonal force, but rather a personal covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. This psalm declaring that, and I love this, while God is surely corporately the shepherd of the entire flock, he too is personally the shepherd of each individual sheep. David here, notice, if you look over the psalm, even glance over it, he incorporates nearly two dozen personal pronouns scattered throughout the lyrics of this incredibly brief song. This psalm, in fact, the only one that uses sheep-shepherd language in a personal, intimate way. The other psalms that incorporate that kind of imagery, using the language of our shepherd, or the shepherd of Israel. David here, using the language of my shepherd. 
It's one thing to believe that God so loved the world. It's an altogether different thing to believe that Jesus loves me, this I know. And by the way, there's no deeper theology than that. It's not to promote some sort of rugged Western individualism per se, but rather to recognize that the shepherd of the flock corporately is the shepherd of each of the sheep that make up the flock intimately, personally, individually. Yahweh is my shepherd, David writes, and therefore I won't be wanting. Which is not to say that that everything we want will be given to us by God. We know that's not true but rather that we as his sheep will never lack anything that he sees as good for us. And not necessarily in accordance with what and how we think best, but in accordance with what and how he in perfect perfect sovereign wisdom thinks best. As in his leading of Israel through the post-Exodus wilderness, protecting his people from enemies and providing for their needs, oftentimes in ways that they would have preferred otherwise. If not, there wouldn't have been any grumbling or complaining, right? If he did it exactly how they wanted him to. Green pastures and still waters here in Psalm 23 equated with soul restoration, with being led in paths of righteousness. Green pastures in the original Hebrew carrying with it the imagery of fresh shoots on which the morning dew falls. In David's day, uh, green pastures were, they were seasonal. As the fields would turn green in the the winter and the the spring with the shepherd responsible in the summer and the fall for uh, leading the sheep on something of, of a nomadic search for food. At times left with the uncertainty of whether or not the sheep would eat again. Not so with God who provides steady nourishment to those who follow him. The imagery here, not only that of provision, but too of rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We live in a world in which we're made to feel guilty or ashamed for slowing down. And yet God invites us into the delight of resting in his presence. To the refreshment of still waters, In David's day, uh, still waters being the the wells and springs where the sheep could drink without hurry or concern. Not the dangers of rushing waters, but the imagery of still springs or lagoons. The opening lyrics of this song of confidence and trust communicating something of refreshment, care, and rest. And with that, verse 3, the delight that comes in following where the shepherd leads which is never down crooked paths, but rather straight paths, joy-maximizing paths, paths that, that move with the current of how God intended us to live in accordance with his kingdom, paths of righteousness by his spirit and through his word. For his namesake, David declares, as the, the joy of the sheep and the glory of the shepherd are not at odds with, with one another, If I could use the imagery of this psalm and paraphrase the the thesis statement of John Piper's life, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, the, the shepherd is most glorified in the sheep when the sheep are most satisfied in the shepherd. Even when, and especially when, the night of the soul is dark. Verse four, David goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? Shepherds would at times lead the, the sheep through ravines and valley beds where the, the steep slopes at times would block out the sun. The imagery here in verse four representing the, the uncertainty of life, the valley of the shadow of death, just as much the path of the shepherd as the green pastures and still waters. Meaning that God doesn't lead us solely into the, the rolling hills of of pleasant circumstance, but too through valleys of shadowy darkness. It's part of the Christian life too. The, the darkened valleys of, of evil and danger unavoidable in this broken world in which you and I live east of Eden. The promise not that we won't go through a, a ravine or two, but rather that God is with us. I will fear no evil, David says, for you are with me. That, that phrase in Psalm 23, in the original Hebrew, it's at the very center of the psalm. We might miss it in our English translation, but there are 26 Hebrew words on either side of that phrase. You are with me. It's the greatest gift of all, the gift of God himself, the gift of God's presence. Right? The story that the scriptures tell is a story that begins and ends with the presence of God present among and with the first of his image bearers in the prior to the fall of man beauty of the garden sanctuary of Eden, the Genesis story, someday to be present among and with his people in the everlasting splendor and joy of the new heaven and earth, the Revelation story. Between those bookends, God's presence in redemption, most beautifully and wonderfully in the stooping of Jesus into the slums of our fallen, broken world. God's presence, our comfort, and security, even in and especially in those dark nights of the soul. I'm reminded of Acts chapter 18, the Apostle Paul facing and experiencing a little bit of ministerial PTSD. And you get red letters in the midst of a, a lot of non-red letters. Jesus shows up. Fear not, for I'm with you. I'm with you. David's lyrics themselves here recognizing God's presence as he shifts in verse four, notice from third person language to second person language. A song having begun with he leads and he restores, now declaring you are with me. The earliest lyrics speaking about God, the middle of David's song speaking to God. And to be sure there's a difference. There are a great many people who have no problem talking about God, but who rarely, if ever, talk to God. And maybe that helps to make some sense of why God leads us through valleys of shadowy darkness. Most of us would testify that the, the darkened valleys and ravines have a way of drawing us closer to the shepherd, who, notice, hasn't abandoned us in those places, but it is with us there too. Armed with rod and staff he is. The rod for defending us from evil, for protecting us from enemies outside of us. The staff for drawing us in as we wander, for protecting us from the enemy within us, inside of us. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. More than that, the staff for prodding us along to keep us moving when we might be inclined to give up 
feeble need. The valley of shadows, not the final destination, a valley not that we walk to, but through, verse four. So that David goes on in verses five and six. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here the the imagery builds on itself from uh, the shepherd king imagery now developed into, or excuse me, the shepherd imagery now developed into that of a shepherd king having prepared a a lavish banqueting table, the picture, uh, one of intimate communion with God. According to some scholars, the imagery here communicating protection as the enemies of both host and guest can, can only look on with envy but cannot harm According to other scholars, a table celebrating victory with the enemies of both host and guest looking on as captives. Either way, you get this picture of intimacy and and celebration to dine at, at such a table in the Old Testament, an expression of covenant loyalty. The anointing with oil, not only signifying something celebratory, but an act of hospitality and a mark of friendship to an honored guest. Cup overflowing, a symbol of God's generosity, his fullness and blessing, his goodness and mercy, following his people all their days, not meaning that goodness and mercy are always one step behind us, but rather that goodness and mercy are chasing after us. Follow in the original language, meaning to pursue. David knew as well as any of us what it was to be chased or pursued and not in ways that most of us would welcome. Chased by Saul, pursued by Absalom. Here declaring that God too chases his people. In the case of the shepherd king with goodness and mercy. Notice that Psalm 23 begins with God before David, leading and guiding him. In the middle of the psalm, God with David Psalm ending with God behind David, chasing after him with goodness and mercy. I'm reminded of Psalm 139, verse five, where David declares, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. The Lord surrounds his people on all sides so that nothing that happens to us is apart from his decreed will, and his decreed will in the lives of his people is always for our ultimate good. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, David declares. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord in David's day being the the tabernacle, which would become the temple in the days of his son Solomon. And yet, there's something far, far more lasting. As David speaks, verse 6, of a forever dwelling in the the place of God's presence, a a banqueting table of victory and celebration on the other side of the darkest valley of death itself. Which leads me to a question we'll attempt to answer each week of this series, namely, how does this psalm point to Jesus? Well, Jesus, we've talked about this before, is he's our perfect shepherd king. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, rescuing us from the the prowling wolves of sin and death. 
In the language of Luke 15, he who left the 99 in the open country in order to seek and save we, his wayward lost. We like sheep having gone astray, having wandered from the fold of God. Jesus, the the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13, whose blood has established an eternal covenant, who having risen from the grave goes before us, leading us by his voice into paths of soul restoring righteousness. The bread of life, John 6, who provides the green pastures of steady nourishment to those who follow him. He in whom those who are weary and heavy laden can lie down and find rest. Jesus inviting us into the the delight of resting in his presence. The one in whom anyone who thirsts can come to still waters and drink, John chapter 7, so that our hearts flow with, with rivers of living water, Jesus says. The good shepherd, too, the sacrificial lamb, blemished lambs, all of us, having sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, the lamb without blemish or spot, who understands from the inside what it is not only to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but to taste death itself, only to rise from the grave three days later. He who is with us in the midst of our own valleys, having promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us, who's with us in the midst of even our enemies, the fount of joy, Jesus Christ, our shepherd king, whose presence overflows the cup of his people, his goodness, his mercy, following us all our days, not just some, all Neither death nor life, Romans 8, able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, the chief shepherd, someday appearing, 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us, to gift us with the unfading crown of glory and welcome us into the house of his eternal dwelling. The greatest banqueting table the world has ever known, the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19. I would ask, do you know this Jesus? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in this Jesus for the forgiveness, for the joy, for the peace, for the rest that can only be found in him? In her poem entitled Psalm 23, Antithesis, Marsha Hornock writes, the clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me to deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. A lot of people live that way, including Christians. I've been there. Have you? We don't have to. We don't have to live that way. We can follow the voice of the good shepherd who nourishes, who restores, who renews, We can bend our knee to the great king who pursues us with his goodness and mercy. And in it all, we need not fear for 
According to Psalm 23, he is with us both in greenest pasture and darkest valley. No matter the circumstance, worthy of our confidence and trust. I don't know what you bring into this place this morning. Whether you find yourself in a place of rest where the grass is green and the water's still, or if you feel as though the sun's been blocked out on both sides in a shadowy darkness, I'm thankful for Psalm 23 because it meets us in both places. And if you're not in a dark ravine right now, it's very likely that you will be at some point. And as I've said before, my hope is that these Psalms become additions to our arsenal that we would use in those moments, in those times to preach the gospel to ourselves and and to each other. In a moment, we're going to Worship the shepherd king together. We'll have an opportunity again to declare our confidence in him, our trust in him. Before we sing the first lyrics of the next song, we're gonna take just a couple minutes to meet with the Lord. Just encourage you during that time, if if the Holy Spirit hasn't already revealed to you what the Lord has for you in this psalm, that, uh, that you would spend some time there going, so what, God, what do you have for me? Perhaps it's to repent of Psalm 23, the antithesis, to say, that's me, that's my life, that's, that's the right now for me. Or perhaps to say, Lord, uh, w- would you help me because I-, I want you to meet me on my own terms. I want you to meet my needs the way I want you to meet my needs. Perhaps it's just recognizing that God is present. I was talking with a a, a brother uh, just this past week or so, and one of the the phrases that came up a few times in that conversation was the language of functional deism. And that's a lot of the church. We'd never say that. We'd never write that out and frame it up and put it on our wall as our creed that we believe that, that God wound up the clock and then checked out on us. But the truth of the matter is that Oftentimes we live as though he's not there, as though he's not a part of the world in which we live. And we're kind of good with that. We, we want our creed to be Christian, but, but we want our lives to be a functional deism where, where we kind of hold the remote control and we live in accordance with our own terms and conditions. And God would say that's swimming against the current of the way I've designed things to be. And when you do that, you're actually minimizing or diminishing your own joy. And so there's opportunity this morning to to run to the Lord, to fall into his lap, so to speak, yet again, to recognize his presence. We get to sing to him, get to receive of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, would encourage you not to partake of those elements, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. If you are a Christian, As many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. There are communion stations on either side of the stage. There's a gluten-free table in the back corner there. As you prepare to receive of those elements, we have two word pictures here that I would just encourage you to to sit with. One being the, the imagery of a shepherd and his flock be reminded that that Jesus the shepherd is also the sheep who died 
on behalf of sinners like you and me as you receive those elements. Remember that. Remember that uh, the, the Lord's Supper is a practicing for the marriage supper of the Lamb, the great banqueting table of, of uh, verses five and six we see here at the end of this psalm. Pray that the, the elements of bread and cup this morning would be all the sweeter for having sat with this imagery. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.